It's Thursday, May 31st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro, Jeff Fisher, and from Motley Fool Stock Advisor, Jason Moser. Gentlemen, good to see you. How do? Hey, Chris. Good riddance to the month of May. <laughs> we're, we're happy that May is done. They have sold and left. I was going to say, yeah, we kind of, at the beginning of the month, sort of, we, we made a little fun of the whole notion of the old adage, sell in May and go away. <laughs> but it, it seems like a bunch of people actually did that, because the market has kind of tank this one. Still up for the year. Still still good, but... but Yeah, that has proven true the last couple of years now, but if you're thinking about doing it next May, remember, it won't repeat every yeah, time. So. And now, if you did sell, you need to figure out when to get back in. Uh, Meanwhile, we're just fishing. We're enjoying ourselves. Exactly. You feel good about buying in May. If you were buying in May, then kudos to you, man. Um, on that note, we are going to wrap up the month uh, with a round of undervalued, overvalued, and overlooked, uh, where the guys come to the table with a, a couple of stocks in each category. Let's start with the undervalued stocks. And uh, Jason Moser, I will start with you. What's your undervalued stock? Yeah, so I've got to go here at least. Uh, I've got to give a little nod to the big banks here. JP Morgan, I think, is one that has really, the last month or so, just seen a lot of headline, uh, just one, two, you know, punch and just. They it started with the the whole problem of the London whale, the trade fiasco, where yep. they, they you know lost a couple of billion dollars. Now that spiraled out of control. It could be three, four, five billion dollars. You know, part, part of the problem is they really aren't quite sure. Um, as such, you know, the company's forced off to sell about twenty five billion dollars in securities and good you know profitable securities in order to kind of shore that balance sheet sheet up and, and contain this. Um, so that was a problem, not so good. It sort of took the place of our perennial headline risk in Bank of America. And then just the other day, you read about this situation with an IPO in Tokyo where they're now investigating J.P. Morgan about potentially releasing some information to some short sellers um, you know, on the down low. And so that's another headline risk that doesn't look so good. And the stock has gotten pummeled you know, as, as a result. But you know, I mean, when you look at this company, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, it's still a well-run bank. Um, on the whole. And I think that Jamie Dimon has, has done a good job with a tough situation in the financial crisis and the aftermath of it. And, you know, while I'll be the first to argue that when you see a bank like this trading at tangible book value, well, who really knows what the book value of this bank is to begin with? And yes, that's certainly a valid argument. I make it all the time as well. But I think in this case, for investors who are looking to throw a little risk into their portfolio, with J.P. Morgan now trading at, at tangible book value, I still think they have a pretty good hold on the business and what it's capable of. And you know, you want to buy big names like this when they're getting pummeled. And this is, I think, the time when J.P. Morgan could be bought. Now, J.P. Morgan stock is certainly beaten down recently, but you look year-to-date and other big banks like Bank of America, which you mentioned, and Citi, they're beaten down even more. What what gets you more focused on a company like J.P. Morgan? Is it because of someone like Jamie Dimon? Primarily, primarily it's management. I think that in Citigroup and Bank of America, you have management that really doesn't quite know what in the world's going on. And and for you know the fiasco of the London Whale situation, I do give Jamie uh, Dimon uh, credit here for stepping right out in front of it. I mean, he, he didn't try to cover it up or make yeah. you know light of a situation he said hey man we screwed up this was bad it you know that's what else can you say so he did a good job of getting out in front of it and uh, and ultimately at the end of the day i think that it's still a well-managed bank with you know a big a big road ahead and so primarily yeah, management i think jeff fisher what's your undervalued stock i've got chris cme group ticker is cme C as in Charlie. I like it already. All right, me too. <laughs> it's a uh, harken back to my Chicago days. The company was formerly the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, and it became CME Group because it also now owns the Chicago Board of Trade, the New York Merck, 
the uh, Comex and, and, and the Dow Jones namesake indexes. It owns 90% of those. Anyway, what they do, they're the largest exchange and clearinghouse for futures contracts in, mm-hmm. the, in the world. So if, if you're an individual or a company or a government uh, trading futures, you're most likely using CME Group to make the transaction and to clear it for you. They have some of the highest operating margins of any company in the S&P 500, above 50%. Highly profitable business. Their profits grow as their volume grows. Now, in the in the past six months, volumes have taken a hit, and the shares have fallen along with it. Um, why is that? Because right up until that last point, I was thinking, "Wow, this this sounds like kind of a dream investment. Huge market share, highly profitable business. Um, what's happened in the last six months that um, you know? Obviously, it's affected the stock, but." For, for someone looking at this, how do I know it's not going to continue over the next six months? Exactly. Very attractive business. It's all transaction-based. So when those transactions go down, what's happening? What happened is in the fall, of course, the MF Global uh, blow-up oh, was right. futures-based, MF and it Global took place on CME Group. Even though I do not believe they're reliable and they, they've t- done all they can to like uh, repair their reputation surrounding this event, uh, they can only do so much about fraud. But anyway, that decreased confidence in the futures market and lowered the contracts that were being traded. The other, Another factor, which is interesting when you think about it, is so many prices have been stretched one way or another. Natural gas has been near a 10-year low. Oil, until recently, was at a multi-year high. Interest rates can't go much lower. Right. Uh, food prices were very high. So everything was stretched one way or another, and there's not much room to trade when prices are at, at those points. And then January through March, there was very little volatility in the market as well, in, in the equities market. So low volatility and, and prices stretched meant not much trading. CME Group said last in April, once volatility returns, prices should move again and trading will, will go up again. Um, there are other futures markets out there, obviously, CBOE Holdings, um, NASDAQ uh, as, you know, has one as well. Um, is this the sort of thing where, over time, we're going to see greater consolidation, or if if your CME group, you you sort of like your position right where you are, and you're you're not looking to expand further. Well, we know there there was a lot of consolidation in the middle of the last decade, and it hit a wall with 2008, and now just recently the New York Stock Exchange merger over in Europe was called off by regulators. That's another uh, mm. dose of cold water over the merger acquisition acquisition uh, outlook here, which is good for CME being so large already, they'd rather just maintain their position. They're expanding in Brazil and China and around the world, the Middle East as well. And uh, if they can just maintain their their powerhouse status here in the U.S., they'll be happy with that. Uh, let's move over to the overvalued stocks. Jason Moser, what do you got? Before we go on, let me also add just real quickly that J.P. Morgan's ticker is J.P.M. I'm oh, not okay. to say that in the beginning. I, I should so. have hit you with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, J.P.M. Right. Anyway, we all have our problems. <laughs> <laughs> did I say C.M.E.? I know, I know, I you did. did. Yeah, that's what. So, that's I'll why I like it, it right out of the gate. It's like, oh, I understand the name and the ticker. And by the way, fools, C.M.E. is two hundred sixty-five dollars a share, but they're splitting five for one in July. So don't freak out. <laughs> they'll, they'll be fifty. When all dollars. of a sudden you <laughs> see the value of your shares cut by eighty <laughs> percent. Uh, okay, Jason, overvalued stock. 
I'm starting to question whether this is even overvalued anymore because I'm realizing realizing there probably isn't anything I wouldn't do to get the other half of Jeff's Chipotle burrito right here. Yes, I heard but, you were talking about Chipotle. Yes, I had to get I, a um, I do. You know, I'm going to call Chipotle out here as overvalued. Now, let me be very clear. I love the company, love the product. I really don't have anything bad to say about the stock other than it's just overvalued. I think it's expensive, uh, very optimistically priced, as I like to put it. Uh, but just in, to look at some numbers, I mean, Chipotle has just had a phenomenal run. I mean, this is a company that makes over 200 million dollars in free cash flow uh, over the past 12 months. Uh, but what that does is it puts it trading at about 65 times free cash flow now and about 57 times their earnings. And to put that in a context, you look at a company like Starbucks or Panera, and then Panera is probably a better comparable here because they have a similar store base. Uh, you know, Panera trades at about 30 times earnings. So we can see there's a lot of optimism price still in Chipotle's shares. And part of that probably is due uh, to the potential that they have for that Asian concept, the shop house, uh, which is it's yet to really test out. But I know that the one we have here in DuPont Circle, is it? has gotten yep. rave reviews from the fools we have here that have, have gone there. Uh, but, you know, you look at it, it, just Chipotle makes it a habit of always stomping on expectations. Same-store sales just continue to do well. The stock, of you look at over the past year, it's, it's beaten the market by better than 40%. Um, on its way from $290 to $412. So it's not like it's it's been a, a problem stock at all. It's just I think that right now it's extremely optimistically priced. And, uh, you know, when we maybe have days where we see the burrito as half eaten and not half there. <laughs> that might be where investors want to consider jumping in. I think there will be a point when this company disappoints on earnings. And when it does, the stock is going to get pummeled. And that's when I think I may have to jump in and buy a few shares we in had, a burrito to celebrate. Uh, we had Bill Mann on the podcast yesterday. And uh, I, I'm going to give a little plug for Bill because uh, for listeners who may not know, uh, Bill works uh, at Motley Fool Asset Management and he writes a monthly column that you, that anyone uh, can access just by going to foolfunds.com. He had written uh, a column a year or two ago where he wrote about something he referred to as the awesomeness continuum. Oh, yeah. And Bill is very much a value investor, and yet he realized that there are companies that are what he considers to be high up on the awesomeness continuum where he realized that for himself as an investor – you know what? I, as a value investor, I shouldn't buy this stock, but it, it's so awesome. I'm going to pay up for it. And he put Chipotle, um, uh, Coach, Under Armour. He put companies like that in you know high up on the scale. Um, all of that said, uh, how long should people wait for this stock to stumble? Because it is, it, as you said, they're they're great at managing expectations. I, I can totally see the scenario you're talking about where it's, wow, you know what, all they have to do is, is come out with one miss and it's going to drop. But it seems like Chipotle is one of those stocks kind of like Apple where, <clears throat> you know, the fact that it's overvalued really doesn't matter all that much. Yeah, a couple things. I mean, number one, I mean, we just got to admire Bill Mann for so many things. He's a great investor, just, you know, really funny guy. Just his ability to work the word awesome into virtually any situation <laughs> is unsurpassed. I mean, I just got to give him just two big thumbs up for that. <laughs> Bill, we love you. But uh, yeah, I think uh, you make a great point with Chipotle because you could sit here and just wait forever and might not. You might just completely miss the boat. Yeah. And so it could be one of those stocks where if investors are really just, you know, they really want to jump in on it, then I think it's worth considering buying in, in something like what we call thirds here, where maybe you buy an opening position, a small position of a share or two, and then you, you sort of wait it out, see how things go. And if you see the stock price stumble, and then you take advantage and buy more, but at least you're not missing the boat completely. And I think that's a good way to approach this one as well. And the ticker symbol? The ticker symbol is CMG. Okay, Jeff Fisher, overvalued for you? All right, we're talking about an ETF here, the Direction Daily Financial Bear 3X shares. The ticker is FAZ. 
Now, what this is, it's, it's an ETF, so it's a fund it's traded on the exchange, and it uses leverage. In this case, it's trying to earn 300% of the inverse of the Russell 1000 Financial Services Index. So it's, it's three times short just about every financial company that you know of. And why do I think it's overvalued? Because are we so really... Wait, just to be clear, <laughs> if you like shorting and you like leverage, then this is the ETF This is the you. one for you. Buy it and watch your money disappear. <laughs> uh, since, it, since it came out of four, four or five years ago, this thing has lost more than 80% of its value, uh, which is not surprising. The, the Russell uh, 1000 index is up about 20-some percent over this time. But even if the index stays flat or goes up a little, down a little, basically flat, this thing will lose value over time because it's using leverage. It rebalances every day. And, of course, a 5% gain uh, offset by a 5% loss the next day does not make you even. You're losing a little yep. bit of ground. And that's what all these flawed ETFs, all these leveraged ETFs, which I think the fools from day one, the fool has said, avoid leveraged ETFs. They're flawed. They're broken. This one's broken as well. And that's why I think it's a, it's a good short. It's up about 40% since March. <laughs> I just said it's a good short. <laughs> it's up about 40% since March from a multi, from its all-time low. And that's to be expected, too, as the financials have gone down, you know, 12%, 15%. Yep. So when you think the financials, this route is, is over, when the market's due to stabilize, this is a good short if you can get shares. Some brokers have shares, others don't. The key is to be able to get shares and keep them for a long time because as over the past four years, it's lost 80%. The next four years, I think it'll do the same thing. So just to be clear, even though it's had this run-up, over the last few months, you still think long term this thing is yeah, just the, going down? Yeah, the run up is just a function of, of the market falling. I mean, it, it will go up when the market falls sharply, but it'll go down three times as fast. Got to have the stomach for shorting, though. Well, it's like yep, they say, you say sell in May and buy in June, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, the old saying. It's bound to happen. Uh, before we get to the uh, Overlook Stories uh, email from Stephen McRae in Montgomery Village, Maryland. He writes, on yesterday's podcast, the guys talked about the stock most likely to drop in the not-too-distant future. My question is, out of all the stocks that are currently trading, which one is the absolute worst buy and why? In other words, if you had to rank every stock out there, which one would come in dead last? Keep up the good work. Thanks. Um, That's an easy question. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, it's, it is fun to think about, although just to be clear, we, we need to take some of the stocks off the table in terms of yeah. considering a question like this, because as fools, we stay away from penny stocks. We the thinly traded over the counter. Those are those are not stocks in our universe that we look at. Um, Jeff, I'll just let you weigh in first because you I could see taking this question in a few different directions. Yeah, certainly. I think one thing I would say to Steve is there are certain industries that we avoid almost across the board, and one is airlines. It's destroyed value since inception, for the most part. Maybe Southwest is one exception to that rule. But the other thing to keep in mind is we have portfolios that are diversified because we don't know what's going to be the best or the worst. And Peter Lynch even said, if you can just be right more than half the time, if you can bat 600, so be right six times out of 10, you'll do very well as an investor. So we're going to have losers no matter what. And we may not be able to pick out the very worst stock any any more than we're able to pick out the very best. We're hoping to make money overall with a good portfolio. But but anyway, to, to try to answer his question better, it's avoid, obviously, industries that just have everything going against them from pricing to competitive dynamics like the airlines. 
and uh, biotech as well, young biotechs. Uh, you hear stats, some 90% or more of emerging biotechs end up failing. The, the odds are really stacked wow. against you there. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, I think – I know he's probably looking for a name, and I think that's really sure, tough really. to he's actually listening, going, Give me a name. ticker. Just give me a ticker. And probably run a screen in Cap IQ and come up with a name. I don't know how helpful it would be. But I think Jeff, Jeff answered it very well. I mean you look for the – way, the way I would frame this is I, I know what I'm looking for, and so then if – I don't find those qualifiers, then I know to probably stay away. So essentially, when I invest, I'm looking for four basic uh, ideas to be fulfilled here. Number one, I want to see a management team that I can trust. Um, It needs to be a business or an industry that I understand. i got to understand how this company makes money. And I I want to be interested in following it. Like It it needs to be something I actually care about. Uh, Then I want to see that there is either some type of short-term event or a long-term trend that's going to help create value that I can see uh, value coming from. And and then I just I want it at a fair price. I'm not a value investor. I'm not a growth investor. I'm just looking for something that's reasonable. I mean, it doesn't have to be you know 25% under value, but I don't want a fair price. And so understanding how to value a stock and and uh, if, if those four qualifiers are not met, then I immediately would stay away. But if any of them are not met, then I very very highly question whether I would even get into the investment to begin with. Yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind is this: the answer will change, of course, as, as Jason just alluded to. Some of the best shorts we've ever had, David Gardner and I in the Rule Breaker portfolio way back in the 90s was shorting Trump hotels and casino resorts. Ah, uh, yes. Because he had so much <laughs> debt, he was they were paying something like $200 million a year in, in interest. That's when I learned about, uh, I don't know if you came up with this rule or David Gardner did, it was the beware of the company where the ticker symbol is the initials of the person who founded it. That's right. the ticker back then was DJT. David pointed that out. Yeah, DJT. <laughs> ah, and then you, beware boss. of the management who flies you up to meet them, too, because Trump <laughs> Trump contacted David and invited us up, and yeah. we went up and met him, and he pretty much talked us out of the short. But So that's how they went. They ended up going bankrupt. And another really good short that I had in the past was Movie Gallery, and that was just a case where you could see Blockbuster dying and movie gallery was right behind it and the final thing to remember with weak stocks is or with a short you don't have to short at 30 if you even if you short at 10 if you think it's going to zero you'll, you'll still make a hundred percent so it's best to wait until the thing is really dying all right good question you can always drop us an email radio at fool.com is the best way to reach us uh, let's wrap up with uh, an overlooked story uh, certainly uh, Facebook is not an overlooked story we've we've been talking about that as it seems like the whole investing world has been for the last uh, couple of weeks but uh, but there are overlooked stories out there Jason um, what's one that you think maybe deserves a little bit more light and maybe an investing play off of it it's one that I mentioned on yesterday's uh, show briefly we were talking about shippers and dry ships, uh, you know, less than stellar results. But Gulfmark Offshore is a company that I've been following for a little bit more than a year now. And this company, uh, they provide the offshore marine services to all the big, you know, E&Ps, the oil E&Ps out there like, you know, Exxon and you know, Chevron, all those companies that go out there and do that deep water exploration, Atwood, Oceanic, Sea Drill. And so, uh, to me, it's, it's not the big, sexy oil company. I mean, like we all hear about, it. they make the headlines every day. But these are the guys that really help these oil companies get their jobs done. I mean, they maintain this, you know, large fleet of boats and, uh, you know, keep things moving along for these oil companies. And so, you know, we have a situation here where oil has come back down. But when you look at the next four or five years, 
out, these companies like Atwood Oceanics and Cedral see a situation where their demand is going to be tightening up. They're going to be really out there doing a lot of drilling, and they see day rates improving as well. And so what this all means is that Gulf Market is going to be in a situation where their services are going to be required, and they should stay pretty busy. Uh, the, the, the management team itself has done a really good job of maintaining the business uh, through, through you know, volatile uh, energy prices, but they've also done a really good job in managing their fleet. So they're building some new ships to keep their fleet modern, uh, but it's also interesting to see how they're able to sell their old ships and get them as a percentage of the original cost, they're actually able to sell these ships for more than they paid for them. Wow. And so ultimately what you have is a situation where the company is able to maintain a very solid balance sheet. The tangible book value of the company uh, continues to grow incrementally over the years. And right now we have it trading at about tangible book value, uh, which I think is is you know, an excellent entry point to buy the stock. I actually just added another position to my real money portfolio yesterday with it. And uh, it's just not one that people really know much about because it's not big oil. And the ticker? Ticker is, for all you golf fans out there, GLF. GLF. All right, Jeff Fisher? GLF. Okay, one story that is not really on the business pages at all, it's kind of fallen off our radar, is an entire continent. It's Africa. We're talking about the Middle East all the time and South America and every other continent, but Africa, not so much. Uh, And the, the continent is experiencing an economic boom. Uh, It's predicted to have the largest economic growth of any continent over the next decade. And the economies of at least a dozen countries in Africa have grown by more than 6% a year for the past six years or longer. So they're expanding right through our little recession and financial downturn and everything else. Now, this said, of course, we've been hearing about an economic renaissance in Africa for years, uh, as long as I can remember. So you have to take it with a grain of salt because there's still a lot of corruption in many of these countries' governments, and of course, civil wars flare up, and it's not for the light of heart. But the Market Vectors Africa Index ETF, the ticker is AFK, has done quite well since 2008. And this year, AFK is up more than 6%, while the Dow is, is only up 1%. Why do I compare it to the Dow? Because the, the Market Vectors Africa Index is made up of the Dow Jones African Titans. 50 index. I love that name, the, the titans a strong of, name. of industry. Things like uh, Nigerian Brewers, Impala Platinum, <laughs> United Bank. It's mainly, it's 20% financials and then a lot of energy in Africa, of course, and whatnot. But it yields 3.5%. Like I said, it's up 6% this year. This ETF has a 0. 0.78, uh, a 0.7% fee, so it's a low fee. Only $80 million is invested in this, this major African ETF, wow. so it's certainly overlooked. And it's small, and if you need a lot of time for it to play out, you're you're only paying 0.7 percent a year, and you're you're getting this three percent sum yield. But it might be an interesting diversification for a for a portfolio. Take your mind off Europe for a minute. But if you're looking for leverage and shorting, then <laughs> then, then it's you. then it's the financial bears well, ETF. Yes. All right, Jeff Fisher, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thank thanks. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.